This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Celebrate your commitment to thoughtful, intentional parenting. Celebrate your desire to do things differently. Celebrate your love of your kiddos and how much you aim to have your actions line up with both your values and their needs. This is hard work and awesome work, and you can do it. Baby steps. Valeria interviews Jeannie Albina. She is a certified parent coach, mom, and speaker. Prior to completing parent coach certification with the Parent Coaching Institute, Jeannie Albina worked as an elementary school teacher in Chicago and the Chicago suburbs for almost a decade. Trained in both elementary school education and effective coaching practices, Jeannie works closely with her clients to help them uncover their family's strengths so that they can move in the direction of their dreams. Raising two kiddos of her own, Jeannie brings a sense of realism, humor, and hope to the work that she does with parents. In addition to her training as a parent coach, Jeannie holds a BA in religion from Bernard College and an AM in divinity from the University of Chicago. Meet Jeannie at JeannieAlbina.com. Here's the interview with Jeannie Albina. In your own words, who is Jeannie Albina? She is, I think like all of us, a work in progress. I do many things. I wear many hats. But I guess who I am in my essence is I'm a curious person. I'm someone who loves to connect, who has learned over time that really, at least what I think life is all about is relationship and connection. And I bring that into lots of the different work that I do professionally, to my hobbies, to my work, raising my family. That's sort of who I am, at least for today. We'll see. Right. Ah, I love that. (laughs) Ah, What's not to love about that? Being curious and living for connection, for relationships. I resonate so much with that. Mm -hmm. Connecting. There's something about being connected to others. And there are so many levels of connection anyway, but to oneself, right, Jeannie? That's a very important one to be connected. Oh, absolutely. And I think... I think as we connect more with others, we like uncover layers of who we are, who we've been in the past, who we're growing into being. And it's like we're in a process um, to sort of borrow from, you know, the title of Michelle Obama's memoir, we're becoming together. Yeah. We're really like becoming um, with one another. Yes. How beautiful. Ah, you know, I can't help it, but connect what you just said with spirituality, with the idea of that life has this say, groundness of being, this one reality that holds everything else. Some people call God reality or essence, consciousness. So I guess this is a good time to ask you that question. 
What is your idea of spirituality? There, I feel like there are sort of two layers to this. There's what do I, how do I understand it in more general terms and what does it mean to me specifically? So in general terms, I really love how you phrased it. It's, it's, I think spirituality, it's the process of seeking that which is large enough to hold all of these different truths and all of these different expressions and ways of being that we, you know, as individuals have this one spirit that follows us from our first breath until our last, but our lives take on such different shapes along the way. The things that we value, the things that hold meanings, the things that we pursue. We start off as children being parented. Now I'm in a place in my life where I'm doing the parenting and I'm working with other parents and that taps into a different part of my spirit and a different part of this essence, this sort of through line of who I am, despite all the shifting and changing that goes on around it. So I think the spirituality, it's a quest for coming closer and closer to that essence that is unchanging while at the same time is influenced by time and space, by who you're connecting with. Um, And it's, I think a lot of, and I think sometimes by spirituality can feel tricky is it is, you know, holding multiple ideas sort of at once that are that aren't all the same like we are the same from birth to death and yet we are very different from birth to death like those things are both true at the same time and coming closer to understanding what that means for us and how we can hold these seemingly opposing ideas at the same time I think that's that's at the root of a lot of spirituality Mm. for me at least (laughs) ah yes a billion times to that to this understanding, felt understanding, or perhaps wisdom, as some people would say. To me, it's I call it spiritual knowledge. But yes, holding paradoxes, being open to yeah. differences, to change, right? See, there's something very clear to me when a human being is able to do that. That means that mm-hmm. they are viewing the, the world, the changing reality, this called life, from a place of unchanging from a place of clarity, of quietude. Yeah, there's something that it really, it's very evident to me. I call it freedom. I know even love, I kind of associate love to freedom because once we are kind of living what love is, this sense of freedom comes into being. We just let, you know, people express and be themselves without trying to change them or forcing them to change. Or even the world itself, there is this level of uh, peace, I would say, that I relate to freedom. Does it make sense to you? Yeah. I think especially the connection to love that you articulate, that when we love others, when we allow others to love us, there is acceptance that is baked into that love. And that doesn't mean enduring things that are unhealthy for us or in, you know, allowing others to endure needless suffering, but there is an, there is a degree of acceptance of all the things we've mentioned before, that life is complicated and things change, but there's an underlying essence that stays with us over time. And it's, and when we are truly loving, we're open to that. We're open to both the unchanging and the changing, mm-hmm. but without forcing it. And I think mm-hmm. when, when, when that connection can go awry is when we try to meddle a little bit too much. rather than um, observing, listening, and responding Mm -hmm. thoughtfully. Yes. Uh, 
So the question that comes to mind is, how did you come to these understandings of life? And is that okay. related to, to why you became a parent coach? Or I, I do think I do think so. What a great question. Um, I think that the the women, a lot of the women in my family, have tilted a little more spiritual, a little more um, curious about ultimate meaning, about life in a more complex way, something that goes beyond just day to day. And so I have that heritage. And then for myself, I think, you know, so much of who we are as people is, uh, you know, how we, our constitution, our personality from when we're first born, from when we're itty bitties. And I think I just kind of came into the world curious and wanting to understand things on a deeper level, things resonating on a deeper level, which is no better or worse than how anyone else comes into the world. It's just all different ways of being. Um, and then I would sort of, you know, ponder um, questions on my own. And it was in, I know in college when I started studying in a formal religion department that I started to explore how have cultures and religions throughout time, uh, you know, sort of answered the question of like, what does it all mean? And getting some of those different cultural contexts was really helpful. I wasn't raised religious one way or the other with any, you know, great meaning. Um, and continuing those studies into graduate school, at divinity school, just continuing to explore the various ways that humans have tried to make sense of, come to terms with, find some answers to this wild ride of life that we're all on together. And when, um, you know, fast forwarding a little bit and I became a parent, well, I should say before before becoming a parenting coach, I was a classroom teacher. So I had the absolute honor of working with children, um, seven, eight, and nine-year-olds for nearly 10 years. And man, if you, if you want work that is going to hold up a mirror to you and get you to really ask, how am I showing up? Mm. What kind of person mm. am I presenting to the world working with kids? Because wow. they're honest and they will tell you exactly what they see. Yeah. And it's, it's phenomenal work. Wow. Um, so that added a layer of depth of me just thinking, how am I showing up? How am I using my time? How am I uh, spending my energy that I have in this life? And at, then becoming a parent, um, just to have, again, the enormous responsibility and the gift. And sometimes, you know, I'll be honest, you know, at two in the morning with the baby who won't sleep, the burden of raising kiddos it just, to me, and you know, everyone responds differently, but to me, it just takes those questions to an even deeper level. What is it? What am I passing on to my children? What are they learning from me? What will they take forward into their lives? How will they find meaning in life? And really the interest in working with parents came from a combination of just loving connecting with them in my role as a teacher, often being humbled by them in my work as a teacher when they would call to my attention ways in which, you know, I could show up a little bit better for their students. And I was always grateful for those parents. Um, and when I left the classroom, I missed that connection. I missed working with families. And so just, you know, the universe sort of put this at my feet and I didn't even know that parent coaching was a thing. <laughs> yes. um, but I, I learned about this program and it's been an absolutely, it's been such a gift to be able to work with families. I am continuously humbled by how willing they are to share their vulnerabilities and by how much they want to do better by their kids. It's absolutely beautiful work. 
Wow. It very much sounds like. And yeah. I, I love the way you speak too. There's a lot of enthusiasm, okay. <laughs> gratitude, love. I hear that. How beautiful. So you see, when you talked about that, you just mentioned children, working with, with children, connecting with them and how that kind of brings the best out of us in a sense of uh, becoming more self-aware and open. So that kind of relates to, I mean, I just connect that to the idea of the authentic self as an adult, when we return to that authenticity, then there's, there's something that's childlike, mm-hmm. right? Because we are not able to hide the things that we really want to do and say. I don't know. I feel like that, like is it myself. And I have met so many people that they really sound like that too. It's almost like a child. Yeah. And I think it's, um, it's like refined childhood. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Right. right, Of course. So especially, (laughs) you know, yeah, Mm. young children, especially Mm. babies are the best communicators. They Mm. will let you know when they are unhappy. Mm. They will let you know when they are happy. You know, Mm. sometimes we have to suss out the details, but younger children will communicate very clearly. And especially in in the absence of, uh, or I should say in the presence of a generally, you know, loving, supportive and attentive parent-child bond, they will continue to express their needs, their wants, their preferences. Um, usually when children start to hit adolescence, they take a bit of a turn. There's major brain growth, huge social development. They have the impulse both to push away from their parents, to come into their own, yet they also want their parents to show up the best that they can be for them. It's a very complex time of life. And then, you know, as we move from adolescence into adulthood and early adulthood, all these social expectations about job and career are you going to have a family? Oh, you know, we have, a, there's a lot that sort of gets piled on. I sort of see it as a piling on. So you imagine these layers. And then uh, I think some folks are lucky in that they're very good at sort of, you know, not letting those layers accumulate. But um, I would put myself more in the category where those layers did accumulate for me, but I reached a point where I was able to start letting go of some of those layers, letting go of some of those concerns that weren't tied into my essence that weren't tied into my truest, deepest self, that were more tied into social expectations. Um, sometimes even family very lovingly can have expectations that are just a little bit of out of, out of alignment with our essence. And it, it comes from love and, you know, often, not always, but hopefully often comes from love and care. But as we start to let those things go, the layers kind of peel back. And so we come back to this childlike essence, but what we have now is a little more social awareness, mm, <laughs> a little yeah. more couth, <laughs> maybe True. somewhat more developed manners, <laughs> um, yes. and and executive functioning. Because I think uh-huh. sometimes kids, they know what they want to do, but they don't necessarily have the tactical skills to make it happen. So as an adult, we have the gift of, you know, in addition to all the work that I do as parent coach and the work I do in education, I also coach uh-huh. teachers. I have a deep love of dance. And... Now at this age, I know that that is, I truly think a part of my essence for my creative expression and I have the money to pay for classes and I have the executive functioning to organize my life to sign up. So there are, it's that childlike essence with just um, a little, a, a deeper toolkit. And so I think the sooner that as adults, we can get back to that childlike essence and apply the tools we've learned as we've matured into adulthood, the more we can start to live more in alignment with who we are on the deepest level. Mm-hmm. Yes, it, it takes, right, maturing. That's, yeah, it yeah. is a process for sure. And of course, the way I spoke earlier about authenticity and being childlike has to do with the essence of, of that. Nah, mm-hmm. Not, of course, not the expression, the full expression, because it's almost like we, we are born whole as children. Mm-hmm. 
But there's something that also kind of comes into play. It's almost like we are whole, but at the same time, we're still developing. We still learn. We never stop learning. No, never. I wonder what would a, let's say, a full, fully potentialized human being would look like. Oh, gosh. Have you ever actually imagined that? <laughs> I, You know, it's funny because I, I know some people who are pretty darn close, I mm, think. Yeah. Um, and I think it... <laughs> I think it probably, you know, looks different on different people, but I think the feel of it is ease. When I think about the folks I know who I think like, wow, you are really far along on your journey, there's an ease to how they carry themselves in the world that I that I admire greatly. Mm. Yes, I find that to be true. Yes, yeah, a beautiful yeah. reference. Peace. Yeah, I call it inner, inner yeah. peace. Oh, yeah, there's something right, light about them. They're mm-hmm. they very playful too. I've met some people there that they yes. are, this, I mean, they they can talk about anything. They're highly intelligent, but they're so light and playful yes. that that says a lot. So going back to what you do and how you do it, the topic for our conversation today is parenting and intergenerational change. So I read this on your website. I think it's on the first page. The homepage says, I help parents rediscover their love of parenting. Mm -hmm. So the question that comes to me is, what creates the sense of losing that love Mm. of parenting? That's a good question. I think there there are, like everything, so many layers to it. And so I'll just explore some of the things that when I talk with parents, I think have, I think have chipped away at it. And I, I think the probably the biggest hurdle to really stepping fully into that love of parenting, and I'm thinking specifically as children are getting a little bit older, I think when they're babies, and like I mentioned before, when you're up three, four or five times a night, that just is hard. It is physically demanding, you know, mentally demanding. Once we've sort of moved past basic survival, let's say in the first year or so, I think what really gets in the way are those expectations, are those layers that I mentioned that tend to come up. You know, this is how this person is parenting their child. Should I be doing that? Mm. My child was rude at a birthday party. Now I feel embarrassed. Is everyone going to be judging me? Um, My child is raising their voice to me. Does that mean they don't respect me? I think we start to tell ourselves a lot of stories about how things ought to be, how things should be, Mm. as opposed to just kind of how they are. And when we can move more into, and I say accept, and I think that this is like a nuanced, but something tells me you're probably familiar with this sort of nuanced understanding of the word accept. Like, let's say your child is rude at a birthday party. They receive a birthday gift that they don't like, and they say, I don't like this. Mm -hmm. I didn't want this. It'll make any parent want to hide under the table. When I say that we need to accept the situation for what it is, I don't mean we say that's okay. Mm. But I think sometimes when parents get into, oh my gosh, I can't believe they said that. How could they say that? I never taught them to speak to someone like that. We're actually removing ourselves from the actual reality in front of us. Mm. And as we remove ourselves, Mm. there's layers and distance And there's lots of room for storytelling in our heads about everything that's gone wrong, everything we did wrong, everything they did wrong. And that saps away the love. As opposed to in the moment saying like, wow, my child just said something rude because I think it's okay to name it. Um, That was impolite. We're going to need to address this. Let me make sure the other person feels okay. Let me just, you know, if need be, apologize for my child. And let me come back to my kid and see what's going on with them that caused them to react in that way. 
that gave them the impression that that was an acceptable way to speak to someone. Let's interrogate, investigate, let's get curious about Mm. what's going on as opposed to removing ourselves Mm. from it. It's like, instead of recoiling, it's sort of like going further into it. Mm. Yeah. And that's where connection happens. That's where growth Mm. happens. Mm. And that's where I think the the beauty of parenting and the frustration and the difficulty, everything that comes with it, it's a complicated job, but where it can feel more authentic, where we can feel more grounded. Like you were saying before, we can feel that peace. Even if we are feeling a little frustrated, a little off our game, we know like I am connected to my child. I am rooted to my child. We are going to get this figured out Mm. together. Wow. So yeah, I think it's that the expectation that comes in. Yes. Wow. And and then you know, in and I'm sure we'll you know we'll talk about this more as we go. But um, a lot of folks have really difficult childhoods and then go on to raise children, and those skeletons come back. You know, those difficult experiences, maybe a mismatch between our needs and our parents' parenting style. Um, some folks, unfortunately, face abuse and, you know, suffer traumatic experiences that can get really hard to bounce back from. And then when we begin our own parenting journey, um, we need to face those things in, in a loving, supported way, you know, with a spiritual leader, a therapist, or whoever it might be who can really, you know, support us. I think that um, that's another thing that gets in the way sometimes of really loving parenting is when parents have their own experiences um, from being parented, negative experiences, a little bit of baggage that they bring with them that hasn't been really addressed or acknowledged, that can get in the way too. Uh, Those are obviously the two big culprits. Wow, that's a big one, Jamie, I, know, I have to it's say. Huge. It really is. It's huge, yeah. Yeah, the trauma piece, that's huge. It has been my experience as a child with parents who were, yeah, they were so disconnected themselves that they couldn't mm-hmm. really give me and my sister and my brother any any sense of connection really yeah. to them yeah. or ourselves. We I mean I I can speak for myself. I was completely lost. To me that's a huge one. And not acknowledging, not being able to to know that we are acting, that we're responding from trauma, that we are living mm-hmm. right mm-hmm. from that place. So I think that's a that's really the first tap though. It sounds to me, but of course, not everyone, as as you said, experienced traumatic events, like really hard, uh, let's say the the big T trauma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's to me, they're all all trauma. I don't don't even see that as a big or small small or big T. But yes, I love your suggestion about curiosity because I don't have the experience as a parent. I'm not a parent. I'm Mm -hmm. I'm listening to you as a parent. I know you're Mm -hmm. also a coach, but mm-hmm. I see that this is something that you, um, it's coming from your own experience as well. And what a beautiful thing to, yeah. to see, to have parents who are so conscious and connected to themselves and open to even become more connected uh, in a deeper level. That's what we need to see more, right? With I'm working parents. on it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, you sound like you are very much. So when you talked about, um, you gave the example of, um, you know, the child being rude. And then it came to me was the the blog post that you have written titled Parenting uh, and Intergenerational Change. So Mm -hmm. that there you say, our kiddos are their own people. That caught my attention when I saw that Mm -hmm. phrase. So this, I think this is really like a, a foundation for, I mean, if I was a parent, I would look at that way. Okay, they're all, you know, it's just 
entities. They they're completely yeah. They all they are their their own. They have their own personalities, tendencies. You can't really try to relate to them as an extension of me. Correct. <laughs> they yeah. might not even look like that at all, like me or, or the father. Right. Sometimes they're completely different people. So, mm-hmm. gosh. So the question that I want to ask you is. Something that I came across recently is intuitive parenting. I'm not sure. Have you heard that before? That I'm familiar with it, yeah. Yeah. What is your um, understanding of intuitive parenting? I'll answer that, but I did want to just address one thing before that, if that's okay. Mm. Because I think that there are a lot of folks who are not parents in that they are not raising children, but on some level, we are all, at, well, I think I'm guessing by, you know, the audience that listens to your podcast um, seems like the kind of folks who are, if not raising other people, are, are parenting themselves mm. and are oh, yeah. <laughs> finding ways to connect to the child that they used to be, who again, coming back to the beginning, that essence, that through line. Yes, it's you. And we can say, you know, scientifically, your cells have all turned over, but it's still you. Mm. There's still something foundational, some ground some grounds of being in there. Um, and so I think when I talk about parenting, I'm not always talking to an audience of parents per se, but I am talking to people who are older than they were the day before. And so in a way, we're all parenting ourselves. Mm. So even folks who had really positive experiences growing up, who felt like for the most part, they were very well parented, there's always going to be some sticky stuff from when we were kids, some little things that need to get worked out. Those, you know, maybe a commitment issue that comes up whenever a relationship goes a little bit extra long, or maybe this, uh, you know, fear of competition that comes up even in a friendly game of trivia at the workplace that we have the opportunity to say, what's that about? What's going on there? Did something happen when I was younger? Is there something for me to address and figure out here? Or is it really just nothing and we can just move along? So I would just say that there's a way in which we're all, you know, parenting our, or at least have the opportunity to parent ourselves. And I think the sort of folks who are in your audience space are probably folks who take that on and, and, and are hopefully, you know, this idea, this resonates of sort of parenting yourself in any event. Oh my God. I but back to your that. other question. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. <laughs> so coming back to intuitive parenting, my understanding of intuitive parenting is that despite sort of coming up with, you know, having another name, um, we're trying to get away from all the labels. There's helicopter parenting and there's gentle parenting and there's the the French style of parenting, all this kind of different times of parenting. But when we are parenting intuitively, we're parenting from that deeper place. We're parenting from a place of love and connection. We're parenting from a place with as little, I almost imagine like a windshield on a car. And all the dirt and the grime of just daily life. And when we're able to parent intuitively, we can get the windshield wipers going, kind of get that stuff off so we can clearly see ourselves, our child, our connection to them. And we use that connection to help grow each other. Um, And so you can look different from different people, but I think that a lot of what goes on with intuitive parenting is parenting with, you know, equal respect. Mm-hmm. Like we, I remember when I yeah. was training to be a teacher, yeah. one of my professors said, you and the students are not on the same level in terms of power, but you need to be on the same level in terms of respect. Mm-hmm. And that stuck with me. Yeah. 
Yes. And I think it comes into parenting too. If we're just being honest, we as the parents, we have more power. You know, we <laughs> provide the food and the clothing and, you know, mm-hmm. um, and especially when our kids are little, we sort of pick them up and carry them around. You know, they don't have a lot of say in it. Um, but when there's true respect, when we see them as, as you mentioned, their own person with their own personality. And yes, a lot of personality is, you know, we inherit that from our parents, but you know, a lot of folks are raising kids who are adopted, who have no genetic relation to them whatsoever, but they're they're just as much their children. So that intuitive parenting comes from an understanding that children deserve respect, that the best way to develop together is for, is through love and connection. Um, And then I think, you know, and sort of, um, taking Instagram posts with a big old grain of salt because <laughs> there's a lot of folks who have a lot of ideas about how to do things. But intuitive parenting encourages us to get back to essentials and to parent from from there, from a place of, of truth. Mm, yes. Wow. I love your wisdom. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> yes, I love what you said earlier as well. I want to go back to uh, intuitive parenting, but what you said about parenting ourselves That really, it's really, really true. It is very much my case, not having Mm -hmm. growing up without parents, I would say, or with disconnected from them. That was my long, that was a long journey to figure out how to become my own parents, father and mother. And um, it took a long time, but I remember talking to a psychotherapist who had back then, exactly that moment when we met, she became a spiritual teacher and she was moving mm. from one state to from a state that I can remember to Arizona and she, that's one thing that she told me when I talked to her about my experience as a child and all the trauma and then she said you need to reparent yourself you need to become your own parent that changed everything that's interesting she yeah. taught me a few meditations I think that's the reason why I started this podcast this mm. came into into my mind my consciousness it's almost like the longing to connect with yes. other people because I was not able to do that fully. It was just so difficult. When you when you mentioned before that your parents were disconnected, unable to be present for themselves, which I think is sort of, you know, tragedy number one, and right. then unable right. to be present for you and your siblings, my first thought was like, well, no wonder you have this podcast. It uh-huh, makes yes. perfect sense. Yeah. And what a beautiful yeah. journey of healing for yourself. <laughs> right. Because right. you had the opportunity mm. to you know, drown your feelings in really negative habits or to create this platform to Mm -hmm. share ways that we can all grow. Um, So what a, what a beautiful, so it's, it's like we said at the very beginning, you know, holding what seemed to be paradoxes. Mm. I, I'm, I'm so deeply sorry for your experience growing up. It sounds like it was extremely difficult and much more than you or your siblings should have had to bear. And how wonderful that you were able to make some really great lemonade out of that experience. Yes, you know <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yes, yeah. Thank you for for the empathy. I do. I do remember somebody saying that too. Here, I believe you can only mature when you take responsibility for what you're not responsible for. Oh, interesting. You can only grow once we do that. That also really resonated with me deeply. Like, wait a minute, I'm not responsible for my own trauma, but then. Nope. But then I wanted to go as deep as I could. That's why spirituality has been very helpful because I wanted to understand why did my, my, why, why were they so mean? And then, mm-hmm. of course, you know, 
looking into their own history, you would know why they went through hardships. Right. They, they are already carrying all the, the, you call it the intergenerational yes. baggages and ancestry and all that trauma, ancestral trauma and all that. But then, you know, I kept going further. What about before that, all that? And then mm-hmm. spirituality will explain with the law of karma, uh, different lifetimes, just keep coming back here in basically in, in ignorance, not knowing the truth, not knowing that we are already free, that the love is what holds everything. So by not really embracing that truth, realizing the truth, we just keep perpetuating suffering and pain over and over mm-hmm. again. Yeah. But this, you know, is, is, is the, um, I had to have that uh, understanding in order to yes. even get to the point of acceptance because it's, gosh, Jeannie, I'm so glad you didn't go through those things. It's just so, it's such a a challenge, you know, to go from one state um, to another when it comes to healing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes, it has been very interesting. (laughs) It still is because I think with trauma, we don't really get rid of it. We don't really forget the memories are here. Even the body holds a lot of those Mm -hmm. memories. Mm -hmm. But it's uh, interesting to see that I I have matured enough and have done enough healing to kind of hold those memories too and let them them come and go without being trapped, without being triggered. Of course, sometimes it still happens, some triggering, but it's... Sure, of course. And that's, and I was just saying, that's your body and brain protecting you. That's your body and brain saying, ooh, this feels really familiar and it was not good last time. Let's go, you know, let's hunker down. So that's really, in a way, you know, you're part of you showing deep love for yourself and wanting to protect you. Mm. Oh, I love yeah. to hear that too. Yes, yeah. yes. Hmm. You see, it, it, that's so wonderful to hear from you as a mm. mother, because I know you're very conscious of that, of treating other human beings, children as their person, you know, as a, as a, not just as a person, a human being, but a spiritual being. Yeah. And it's yeah. very sensitive to everything. So we are um, here to connect. We are here to yes, live love. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. we need to help one another, especially parents. So I'm mm-hmm. so glad you are a mother. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah, that's... That, Doing my best. Yeah, how wonderful. I, yeah. We don't hit it out of the park every day. I think <laughs> that's an important thing. Yeah. You know, the parents that I work with, especially if they're aiming to make intergenerational change, if they're saying my childhood was like this and I want something different for my children. When we are under stress, when we are under duress, we will default to how we were parented. Mm. And again, that's our yeah. brain and our bodies protecting us saying yes. things feel really high stakes right now. I'm going to go on autopilot. And so we'll go on autopilot. And it is okay insofar as, you know, let's say your parents were, um, were yellers. Let's say they got angry really quick. Let's say they had very short tempers. And so you know, the stress gets heightened for whatever reason and you find yourself raising your voice. It is okay insofar as when it's happened, it's happened. And so we have to accept it, which doesn't mean we approve of it, which doesn't mean we're proud of it, which doesn't mean we don't try to correct it. We have to say, wow, I just turned into my parent. Mm. I just heard myself raising my voice at something that just, it just was not merited. And I think what's we have the opportunity. The, the goal is not to get it right every time. The goal is to repair when necessary, to deepen the connections, to stay committed to, you know, doing the best that we can. And I think what is, sure, in ideal circumstances, I guess, sure, we never raise our voices at our children, but that's like not realistic. So I think what's more realistic is to say, 
these are the values that are important to me. These are the things I want to shift for this next generation. And when I find myself falling short, I'm going to own it. If it makes sense, given my child's age, development, et cetera, I'm going to repair with them. I'm going to apologize. I'm going to ask for their input about what I could do differently. Mm -hmm. If you ask teenagers for input on how to be a better parent, they will give you fantastic feedback (laughs) that might be hard to hear, but will usually be spot on. So I think sometimes when parents, Mm. you know, came from more difficult childhoods or trying to be very intentional parents, we, they can tend to be very hard on themselves for the smallest misstep. Um, but I think that if we focus instead on making sure that we're owning our process without hurting ourselves, that's where we make, because for a child, in a sense to have, for a child to have a parent who never raises their voice, great. But what's more realistic, I think, and to to prepare them to go into the world and have and manage relationships is to have a parent who maybe occasionally does lose their temper, but every time they come back, they apologize, they mm. own it, we talk about it, mm. we hug it out. Mm-hmm. You know, not that it's a regular occurrence, but, you know, these things are every now and again, we make a promise. Oh, I promise we're going to do this and that, and then we just don't have time. Sorry, honey, we can't, you know, go out for ice cream. I am so sorry. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to make sure that we make better plans next time. Um, I think it's more about how we manage the difficult moments than in trying to avoid difficult moments entirely because that then mm. we're just setting ourselves up for failure. Mm. It's how we bounce back that matters. Ah, I think. I, in my work with parents, I find that that's more, that's where the attention, that's where you get more bang for your buck in terms of your attention. How do you bounce back? Right. Uh, that's a beautiful suggestion. Yeah, very insightful and helpful one. Not trying to be perfect, but present. Right? No, present. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So we're present to what's happening, not trying to avoid mm-hmm. it, like you said, escape it, numb it. Yes. And I love the realistic piece, right? Because you can't really, yes, although I don't like screaming and like no, even with my husband, oh my no, no, no. when he gets upset, I, I don't feel so yeah. good. But maybe, you see, that's probably from my own upbringing, my own traumas too, because my mm-hmm. parents were like that. So when my okay. husband becomes okay. angry, then something in me mm-hmm. gets triggered. Like, oh, this is not right. <laughs> but yeah. it's it's normal. It's natural, right, Jeannie? Uh, there are some, some reasons to be upset. We, 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 it could happen. Um, it doesn't happen with myself. For some reason, I don't get upset that often. Maybe That's because awesome. of my spiritual <laughs> work. I don't know, my meditations yeah. and all that. But very few things. Angry, I think, after I've done all this work for the last 10 years, I don't remember the last time. Not anger. That's beautiful. So, yeah, I would love for you to talk to me a bit more about that. In a sense of even going deeper, do you suggest therapy for some of the parents that you coach? There are, um, I'm trying to think of the parents I've worked with. I've had a number of parents who are in therapy anyway. Um, So they are working, they're doing, they're on their own journey, repairing their own, you know, their own um, traumas from their youth or just processing their own life experiences and who are doing that in tandem with parent coaching. I'm yet to have a client to whom I say, you know, if we're going to proceed, um, I, although I do have colleagues who have, who have shared this experience of saying, you know, there's a lot to unpack here with parenting and I'm happy to coach you. And I'm not a therapist. And so I would strongly recommend, um, I, I've, I've at least one friend who has said to, essentially said to a family, I'm happy to work with you if you are also willing to engage in therapy because they're just, their needs were a little deeper. As a coach, my job is, is really to, to cheerlead, 
to celebrate successes, to, you know, help process disappointments, but always looking forward. What can we do better next time? How can we show up? How can you repair the harm? What structures can you put in place to prevent some of these maybe trickier behaviors? So my job is <clears throat> to hold a place to go, you know, we I have some clients who are very, very sort of business and I need a to-do list and I need my action steps and other folks who want to do that deeper dive into their own childhood and some who want to go even deeper into the spiritual realm. I'm happy to go with them wherever they want to go without, without entering into a therapeutic relationship. But my job is to, you know, like, like a good coach in any field to say, I see your strengths. How can we build upon your strengths? How can we highlight that so we can get more of that? And we need to acknowledge what's not going well and Try to think, okay, how can we do better next time? Mm. Um, I did also have one other thought, if it's okay for me to share. There is a book um, by an anthropologist. It's called Never in Anger. And it's a, it's a, it was written, oh gosh, in the 70s um, by Jean Briggs. And she lived with an Eskimo family, an Eskimo community. And she noticed that the you know, I mentioned like, you know, parents losing their temper because I think that particularly in the American context, that is sort of part of our cultural norm is sometimes we lose our temper with our kids. In the context of this Eskimo community, that is simply not how they handle um, upset with their children. There's, in addition to the book, um, there's an article, sort of a a digest of it. Um, I believe it's either in the Smithsonian or in National Geographic, again, called Never in Anger, but talks about, you know, this, she interviews this one parent whose child did something pretty uncool and the parent just stayed calm and then later circled back to their child and sort of corrected the behavior. And the anthropologist said, you know, why didn't you get angry at them? I mean, look at what they did. And the parent said, why would I let a child ruin my whole day? Why would I get angry? (laughs) Which um, can seem, can, Mm. and I think one read of that is like, oh, the child isn't worth my anger. And I don't think it's that. I think it's like, they're a child. They're coming into being. They're figuring Mm. out their way in the world. Mm. Why am I going to Mm. use my anger on them? It just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. So I think in certain cultural contexts, anger directed at a child simply doesn't make sense. So I think that's important, though, because in different cultural contexts, you know, we're working against different cultural norms or trying to figure out what it, what is it that the larger society is doing? What resonates with my deepest self? What makes sense for me? But anyway, that could be that could be, you know, something that some of your listeners might be interested in this idea of a culture where anger and parenting is just not it's just not a thing. Yeah. Oh, I love that. Yeah. <laughs> I Isn't that amazing? Yeah. Yes, yeah, mm-hmm. yes, yes. A billion times, yeah. There's something about kindness that yeah. really in connection, the, the way you speak of, that really goes, um, and it goes deeper and it's so much more effective. There's no way can oh, even compare. absolutely. I mean, I, I really believe that from my experience, anger, when I, I remember seeing that from my parents, my mother especially, that that caused me to fear her. So mm-hmm. I was in a state yeah. of fear most of the time because yeah. of her display of anger. I'm sure he was, she was not aware of that probably, but a lot of times she was aware that she was inflicting the fear so I wouldn't do certain things. So I would love to hear from you the connection between, the balance per se, between the balance between connection and fear. How mm. do you know as a parent when you are coming from connection, kindness, and not trying to inflict fear in order to be no, heard. No, for sure. 
I think that that is one of those very intuitive things yes, that I think I, that the more connected we are mm, to mm, to our bodies in the sense I, of mm, like, oh, I can tell my heart's beating a little faster. Yes. I can tell my breathing is a little more shallow. Right. When we move into fear, when typically if a parent is looking to inflict fear on their child, they're wanting con- to control the behavior, which which, for example, if your child, you know, lets go of your hand in a crowded parking lot where there are cars, yes, there will be some fear. And that is fair, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. very much so. Um, and and why, But why do we want the child to feel afraid? Because we feel afraid. Mm. And we want to corral them. We want to restrict their behaviors. We want to shift, shift their behaviors because something mm. about what they're doing mm. is triggering us. Okay. And I say this, and if, if, you know, if there are any parents out there listening and they're like, oh my gosh, that happened to me. Great. You've noticed it. You've observed it. Now you're aware of it. Fantastic. That is step number one. Um, and also noticing the times when it is fully appropriate and times when it is less than appropriate and less effective. So I think context is important. Um, and also just being aware. And st- I think if, let's say that that is the intergenerational pattern that you want to break is parenting from a place of fear. You're like, that's how I was parented. I want to do it differently with my children. I think the the place to start really is in your body, is noticing where is your breath? Where is your heart rate? Do you feel like you're floating outside of your body? Do you feel grounded inside of your body? When we're coming from love and connection, typically we feel grounded, we feel settled, we can take normal breaths, um, you know, our vision is clear. It is when we feel triggered and we move into fight, flight, or freeze, that our body starts doing all these things. All these hormones get kicked off. All Mm. these sympathy, you know, our nervous system gets kicked up. And and I'm not a scientist. I'm not pretending to be a scientist. So if there's someone out there in the audience who has more details and wants to share with the community, that would be great. But that's when we can start to feel sort of outside of ourselves. Mm. And I think that's a good indicator for us that we are not coming from love and connection. We're mm. coming from domination, control. Mm. Um, yeah. and, and step number one is just noticing. Just noticing. Um, if Eventually we want to move into shifting it, but we have to start with awareness, with noticing it. Yes, yes. Yeah, that's very clear to me, Jenny. You're very, very mm-hmm. clear. Yes, there's something mm-hmm. about presence, being present, that kind of blocks the, this type of reactivity. Mm-hmm. triggers mm-hmm. from the past when it comes from past experiences i i can tell that immediately because yeah i'm not present anymore so the yeah. body it's already reacting to something that um, has been here in the thought form memory form so it's not mm-hmm. it's so obvious to me now but i know it's a practice sure. right Jeannie? something that we absolutely we need to practice to observe i mean pretty much every, you know, every great culture, religious, religion through time has had some sort of meditative practice, uh, which is involved with being present, dropping into what is present and to different extents, acceptance of the fact that everything changes, that nothing is permanent. Mm, And I think that that's been a through line of sort of human inquiry into the meaning of everything. Um, What does it all mean? Well, we have to get quiet. We have to get present (laughs) to connect back into that, that root of where everything comes from. And so when we're parenting, if we can catch ourselves, if we're kind of coming out of ourselves, take a few deep breaths, connect back to our body, come back into more of a, a meditative, more of a present state, we can say, okay, my, my teenager is using some very colorful language on me, or my toddler is having a meltdown in the middle of the bread aisle. This will pass. Nothing about this situation is permanent. 
the sooner I can get calm, get present, accept it in that, not approve of it necessarily, but just like acknowledge this is what is happening right now. The sooner I can find a loving, effective and connected way to help my child out of whatever is going on for them. Yes. Yeah. That truly helps everyone. Yeah. The yeah. sense of presence yeah. and not, again, not perfection. You probably have heard that before. Yeah. Not perfect. Yeah, no present. perfection. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So God, everything you say has so much wisdom to me and truth. Oh my God. But yeah. Valeria, you oh, are pulling so much out this conversation. I feel like you're such a gifted interviewer and this has just been so much fun. Oh my God. Yeah. I, I feel the same way, Jeannie. Thank you for being mm-hmm. open. So we're almost at the end. I do have a yeah. few more questions for you. But sure. I do have a question that I have to ask you. Spanking or hitting mm-hmm. a child, is that something that it's ever is that ever necessary? I'm gonna go back to, you know, this Eskimo community that doesn't raise their just just doesn't anger is this in factor into their parenting. In some cultures and communities, physical punishment is part of the culture. And why, while I, on the one hand, am not one to say to anyone, your culture is wrong and you should do things differently, the overwhelming research suggests that children who are physically reprimanded with regularity, you know, who are, where that is just part of parenting, are more likely to grow up to themselves, um, to have just a whole number of, you know, to feel more disconnected, more isolated. They're more likely to then abuse their own children. Um there's, there are statistics, I'm not sure about their accuracy, um, that connect frequency and intensity of physical, um, you know, parent of very physical redirection as, as a child with likelihood of committing violent crimes later in life. Again, some, I mean, it's hard to know what's correlation and what's causation. Um, I, I hesitate to say, no, there's never a circumstance in which it is appropriate but I would, I would, if I were to start working with a parent who said, well, part of our regular routine is spanking and we don't intend to change that, mm-hmm. I would politely decline to work with them mm-hmm. unless they were mm-hmm. open to mm-hmm. the possibility mm-hmm. of exploring mm-hmm. more loving, connected, peaceful, grounded ways of connecting with their child. I think that, like I mentioned before, yeah. when a parent gets like scared, yeah, yeah. Um, I think the spanking is, I am scared and so I need to control you. Mm. And fear and pain are, they're very effective ways to control people in the short term. Uh, Not going to pretend, you know, they are very effective. They do not hold much long-term value. Mm. So I would, I don't know if this answers your question. I I hesitate to do a definite yes or a definite no, but I think that there are a million other ways Mm. to address misbehavior, to teach social appropriateness, to redirect behavior Mm. that don't involve causing fear and pain. Yes. Because fear and pain breed fear and pain. Mm. You know, no child's like, well, my parent hit me. I sure do respect them more now. Like, that's not what happens. What happens is I just got hit. I feel ashamed. I feel physically harmed. I feel unsafe. Mm. And what it does is it just feeds into the fear that is already present in the relationship. Yes. Oh, yes. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Yes. It really resonates deeply with me. I do not believe that's physical or emotional abuse no. is necessary. Oh gosh, no. Emotional abuse, absolutely not. Yeah. There's, there's always a better way. There's always a better way. Yes. Right. And, and when we are, when I say abuse, it's really what you just mentioned, the, the connection, abuse is connected to fear. So in, mm-hmm. I, love, absolutely. I love the way you said brilliantly about the fear because we are afraid. And so we are passing on fear. So it has to do with us and 
the intuitive parenting that we talked earlier, that the theme has to do with being connected to our own intuition, which you said beautifully too, you use the word love. So, so the more we can love ourselves and have this beautiful relationship with ourselves, the more we can pass that on to others, to our absolutely. parents, I mean, to our kids, even to our parents, sorry, my, my case. Yeah, no. absolutely. <laughs> Everyone. Well, yeah, 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 sure, sure. It's so much easier to give when we have. So absolutely. It, that's why it's so important to do the work. Thank you so much, Jeannie, for doing what you thank do. Thank you. For, for being oh, so you. amazing at this, <laughs> <laughs> knowledgeable, wise, and open. Thank you. So we're almost at the end. I do have these ending questions. Let me see if I yes. missed anything. Yeah. So because I make a lot of notes here and a lot of times I don't mm-hmm. look at them. I just at the end, <laughs> I'm looking it now. And I see that I made a note about, yeah, trusting your intuition. Also extended breastfeeding. I heard is really good for connecting with your child. And we didn't talk about that, but I read something. I talked to somebody and that was one of the themes carrying your babies, sleeping close to them. So because we are here to connect for for this, to experience love through relationships, it really feels that way to me. I know mm-hmm. I was disconnected for a long time and there was not, I was not experiencing this connection with other humans and that's why I was so depressed. Oh, sure. So sad. I mean, it was such a sad period in my life. Mm-hmm. So it, that has to do with that connection that I didn't have as a child. So now, if I mean, it feels completely different. I, you know, mm-hmm. connecting, like talking to you now, and even with people mm-hmm. in the street, at the gym, anywhere, it just feels so much uh, easier to do that because yes. I have done the work myself of connecting right. to my connecting own, to, to, that, to that essence that I'm here to connect with. By connecting with me, I can connect with others. This is the purpose of the human experience, it feels to me. So that's where it starts. Yeah. Yeah. So now it makes a lot more sense, all this. Mm-hmm. So let's see. Do you want to make a comment about, yeah, about those things that I just mentioned? Yeah. yeah. I would say this is, it's, this is, it's tricky because um, this is where folks can get stuck in perfection over presence, I think. So. You know, one of my children, I breastfed until they were two and the other one until they were five. And I know other people who were bottle feeding their babies from day one and have a fantastic connection with their children and other people who best breastfed, but it felt like going through the motions and they hated every moment of it. So I think sometimes as parents, um, especially if we are the ones who are, you know, going through the pregnancy and birthing. There can be a lot of noise, and I would go back to the way beginning of our conversation, where there can be a lot of noise from society. You need to breastfeed. You need to co-sleep. You need to carry your baby. And I would say to all of that, Mm. I mean, if you want to, (laughs) if it feels right, (laughs) if it's physically possible, if it's logistically possible, I mean, you think of some folks who um, have babies and just do not produce milk. That doesn't mean you can't connect with your child or folks who are so sleep sensitive that they could never share a room, that's, then don't, you know, do what you need to do to feel healthy and, um, and to take care of yourself. But I think I would swap out things like extended breastfeeding. And I did all those things. I carried my babies. I slept close to them. I breastfed because it worked for me. But, but again, I know so many other parents who had different experiences and still have these beautiful, wonderfully connected relationships. You can sort of substitute those out for be close, be present, be loving, be caring, be gentle, be sweet, listen, attend, and take care of yourself. When you're exhausted and you need a break, ask for it. Lean on a partner, lean on a friend, lean on a family member. Because I also think with things 
like extended breastfeeding and carrying and sleeping close, those can be very physically draining activities as well. And for parents who are like, I want to do this right. I want to do better than my parents did for me. I'm going to breastfeed the crap out of my baby. But are you okay? Are you getting the rest you need? Are you getting the nutrition you need? Are you getting the social interaction that you need? Are you getting outside and seeing the sun every day? So I think it can be taken to an extreme. So I think whatever the actions are, you know, there's a, my, my, so my husband, um, when my first child was from birth to year one, he was home with him full time. I was a classroom teacher. I was, you know, very much. In it. And so he bottle fed him. And those two are so connected. Mm-hmm. It was that time in his arms, holding him, mm-hmm. connecting with him, looking him in the oh, eyes right. while he ate. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. So I think the connection can be forged in so many ways. Mm-hmm. Ah, what's not to love about <laughs> about your wisdom and knowledge um, oh, and clarity? You. Yes, a billion times to listen to our own truth and our intuition and, uh, and questioning, yeah. right? Everything that's mm-hmm. uh, given it to us from high yes, society yes. or anyone else. We, we got to. That's that's um, to me. That's a rule to question everything. Mm-hmm. Not in the sense of being mm-hmm. unkind, but it, it, just that the love for truth. We we want to be more truthful, yes, right? Absolutely. That's really wonderful. Yeah, and very clear to me. Thank you for saying all that. So yeah. at the end of our conversation, I do have a, a question for you. The ending question that I usually ask everyone. But before that, Jeannie, is there anything yes. that you left unsaid? Anything that you, you'd like to mention before that last question? Yeah, I think that the beauty of the work that I do with parents is it's, and I realize I may have, I miss, uh, I miss said this way earlier, but I am a, and my teacher is very, this is a big point of hers. We are parent coaches, not parenting coaches. We are coaching the parent toward taking care of themselves, connecting more deeply with themselves so that they can connect more deeply with their children. This isn't about, it can be about the nuts and bolts of parenting. Absolutely. You know, sometimes I had a parent who reached out, they had a very specific concern about their child. We met three times and it was very practical. Um, but in a way you're, you're coaching the person, not the problems. And so in the process of parent coaching, it's not about changing your child. It's not about quote unquote, fixing them. It's about you as a parent sort of getting clear on your parenting style, your values, what you want to bring to the relationship with your children so that you can rediscover your love for that parenting. Yes. Yes. Another billion times to that. And I love the word <laughs> you use. The article that you wrote says, uh, celebrate yourself. That's one yeah. of the suggestions. That's exactly what you're saying. Right. So let's see. Uh, I have to ask this question that I usually ask everyone, but sometimes I change. Sometimes I, I won't change it because There's something about this question that really interests me to listen to the answer. So what three experiences you wish everyone to have before they lose the body, before they die? Three experiences. Oh my goodness. I think, um, if I think about, okay, so I'm going to start from the outside in. I think having the experience of whatever it is that makes your whole body feel alive if it is eating the most delicious meal you've ever had or having, or, or, you know, for me, you know, I love to dance. That's my yeah. physical expression uh-huh. or like, yeah. you know, yeah. having a gorgeous massage or dancing all night or whatever it mm. is that makes your physical body just absolutely feel alive, whatever that experience might be that brings that. And then I think one layer deeper is having that experience that brings you in deep connection with another person 
And it could be as simple as an exchange on the bus with someone where you just have a a moment of like true person-to-person connection. It could be your lifelong partner. It could be, you know, some people feel very connected to animals, something that connects you deeply to another living thing in some deep way. And then I think the deepest level is having some experience that brings you both, and this is where we'll go back to our paradoxes from before, both into that deepest connection with ourselves that sometimes requires us to go outside of ourselves. Something where we are bigger than we are so that we can fully understand our place in the universe. So a physical experience of whole body aliveness, a deep connection with another living thing. It could be brief, it could be long lasting. And then some even moment of just touching into that deepest essence. Mm. Those three things. Ah, yes. You covered mm. everything. <laughs> mm-hmm. ah, in a beautiful way to gosh. What a beautiful question. Yes, yeah, a beautiful, wise, and to me, spiritual answer. Thank you so much, Jeannie, for being you. Thank you. Thank, Thank you, you for your time. I really Thank appreciate you for everything. Yeah, everything that you do and how you do it. It's so, so Thank beautiful. You so, so we'll talk soon. I wanted to mention yes. your website is genialbina.com. Yes. That will be mm-hmm. on the podcast profile notes. It will be clickable. So thank you again for your presence and we'll talk soon. Bye for now. Thank you. Be well. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jeannie Albina and her work, please visit genialbina.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.